0: American United is the full-service credit union for our veterans. Learn more about their 1% cash-back visa with low fixed rates as well as cash-back on every purchase. It's one of the ways they can give back to their members. Learn more at amucu.org. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. where a partner men can count on.
1: Contact Cordell, Cordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. This is part two of our episode with Ken Free and Trent Mano, two of the founders of Convoy. The
0: uh, actually one of the one of the early advice that I got from from another advi- financial advisor is he said, um, you know, be the type of person where where you attract, not chase the the people that you work. With.
1: This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series, where we interview pro athletes, world class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Before we get rolling, we want to invite you to get involved in the charity our founders helped start called Child Rescue. We work to combat child sex trafficking in the U.S. and globally. The top project you could help with now is in Cusco, Peru. There are 20 girls that the local government rescued but didn't have anywhere to keep them safe, so they put them in jail. The government has said that they're willing to give custody of these kids to the aftercare facility we're helping to expand now once we raise enough money and build an extra building there. To learn more, please click on the Child Rescue tab on our website, which is iCollective.co. So with that out of the way, let's get to the interview. So picking up kind of where we left off, guys, um, you know, Ken, you were talking about how, based on this kind of shared face-to-face experience that you know, where it's, it's days, it's not minutes, right. That you've spent with someone, you've got that mm. trust based thing to go forward. Yeah. I, I certainly believe that. I mean, before we started the episode when we were talking, I was just telling you guys, you know, the call I had half an hour ago, just paid for, you know, convoy just paid for itself four times over for me. Right. And it's yeah. it was because a couple of meetings happened that were, and I'm not saying they couldn't have happened otherwise, um, except I wouldn't have known Jordan. Right. Yeah. Um, but we got done in, in a lunch meeting and a phone call, what probably would have taken 10 meetings because I had the whole weekend bunking, sharing a room with Jordan, right? <laughs> and uh, yeah. and we have that basis of trust to then say, you know, he introduced me to someone who's a, a key business partner of his that, you know, if we didn't have that relationship, maybe he wouldn't have been quite so free or given quite the endorsement that would have gotten it there, you know?
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah uh, definitely.
0: That, that's kind of what, that's the whole goal of it really is, you know, you're talking about conferences being so popular and a large part of the reason why people go to conferences is to meet other people. But most of the time when you're in a conference, you're sitting down listening to somebody talk um, and, you know, mm-hmm. you listen to them talk for 50 minutes and you're like, all right, now it's time time for me to meet people. But everyone pulls out their phone because they've missed all the calls and the texts and emails that they've missed. Um, and so there's not really much, much connecting. Um, so, kind of the way that we've approached it is, we just feel like there's just so much content out there that, that if you get a person to, a person to speak, realistically, you could probably find the a speak a speech that they've done on YouTube or on a podcast or on something something else, and you can do that in the comfort of your home, on the gym, you know, when you're at the gym, when you're doing your gardening, whatever whatever it is. So, we're just trying to find something that is not just readily available, and we think that that real um, person-to-person interaction that that only occurs, we feel like, when you're doing things that, that put you outside of, your, outside of your comfort zone and you're trying things that you've never done before.
1: Well, I, I really have to compliment you guys on that. It, it is a good point. I, I enjoy conferences. I go to a lot of conferences. And, you know, they got this time that they put on the calendar for networking time. And really what it is is everybody's trying to, like, catch up on that email and phone call they missed before the next speech talk starts. And like you guys had awesome speakers, Jeremy from Mandela, like that, you know, combing all of Africa for the top 1% tech geniuses to employ. Like it was like an inherently interesting talk. Right. But you guys hadn't like crammed the whole weekend with that. We actually had enough time to make like legitimate friendships with more than two people. Do you know what I mean? Because you guys had created enough space for that to happen which I think is like an element of restraint. You look at simplicity and design, and most people are terrible at it. They cram, they cram stuff full of things, and they can't, they can't hold back and restrain to simplicity. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you guys have like yeah. brought simplicity to an event by having enough white space for people to build a friendship.
2: And so you know, basically, we, we try to put in the hard work of getting the right people in, in, in the right place. You know, and so when we vet the, pe- the people and get the best group there, and then we have interesting activities uh, for those people to interact with one another. Then you know the quote-unquote networking sort of takes care of itself, and and uh, interesting conversations naturally happen, and you know interesting interesting things come out of that just naturally. We just kind of get the right people there, the right activities, and then we try to get out of the way. Sure. Yeah. Uh, one of the one of the
0: uh, I guess another thought on the what mistakes do people um, do people make when they're when they're putting events together um one of the things that we ask ourselves is like it, how much how much of a wow factor is this is this something that people could do on their own um you know is, is this something that already exists is is this some, or if if you're answering yes to any of those questions if you if you're just like recreating something that already exists and probably if it's if the focus of your of your event is speakers then you're probably recreating something that exists, no matter how good your speakers are. And we and that was actually one of the mistakes that we made early on is our uh, our events were very were very focused on 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 getting as many as many good speakers as we can. Now we just get a few speakers that that are a great draw, um, but we also try to make sure that the events are things that people probably haven't done and probably wouldn't do on their own.
1: No, I feel like there's a bigger message in that, too. You know, one of the marketing authors I'm kind of nuts about, uh, a guy named Jack Trout, wrote, you know, 30 years ago, he wrote a book called Positioning. That's a big, big name in that world. But um, his his book from maybe 15 years ago called Differentiate or Die, I feel like is epic. And kind of what you just said, Trent, really goes to the same point that, like, if this is something that already exists, but yours is going to be 10% better, you're probably not going to mop the floor with your competition. You know what I mean? Like if this is your goal to be 10% better or something that already exists or, you know what I mean, the same thing but in a better location or something, it's like that is just not that much of an edge, huh?
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Well, um, shifting gears for a minute, um, Trent, you've got this like this whole other life, uh, which we were talking earlier. It seems like a bunch of our guests on here, you know, B.J. Larson, we just had. He's an NFL player and really into continuous improvement. Uh, Steven Pearson, who I met on Convoy, right? He's tech CEO and Mountaineer climbing Mount Everest, right? So you've got this entrepreneur side, and then you've got this more straight-laced financial planner side. Um, Tell us about why you chose Northwestern Mutual. Yeah. Yeah, I
0: graduated graduated from college in 2010, um, and... You know, frankly, was applying pretty much everywhere, everywhere that I could. Um, it was, it was not, not the best time to be looking for, looking for jobs at that point. Um, the first first um, interview that I got from a financial planning firm was, was a local financial planning firm. And they reached out to me. A, I think I had my resume on Monster.com or something like that. Um, and they reached out to me. And, you know, I had always liked my finance classes when I was at BYU. So I started pursuing that a little bit more. Um, had several several interviews with different financial planning firms, and actually the decision came down to the first first local firm that um, that reached out to me initially, and then Northwestern Mutual. Talking with my dad, um, and and I said I said, Dad, I'm considering these two firms. The first firm was giving me um, was offering a base of I think it was like forty or fifty thousand dollars. Which may as well have been a million dollars to me coming out of school. It just felt like more money than I knew what to do with. Um, and then Northwestern. high Mut-
1: expectations, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, North and then Northwestern Mutual. You know, is this actually "will you kill" sort of a thing? Um, so it was, it was. a tough. It's obviously just on face value. The local company seemed like a better idea. But as I talked to my dad, he said, he said, "Try. You know, this is again. It's 2010. Um, people are." very, very concerned about his, about their money. And uh, my dad had been a client of Northwestern for, you know, around three decades or so. And he said, he said, people are really concerned about, about their money. And I've never been concerned about the money that I have with, with Northwestern mutual. So it was a, it was a tough choice to pass away the, uh, pass, pass up the, the, uh, guaranteed base salary. Um, but i I've made, I know that I made the right decision because, uh, two or three years after afterwards that, that local firm had had gone under, so would what would have sent my career my dear uh, my career in a different direction.
1: Yeah, you know it's interesting. We it seems like um, speculative investments and uh, the startup world. You know it's so exciting. There's so much emotion about it. It's easy for the news to glamorize it and glorify it. Um, and yet you look at like the most successful investor in the history of the world, Warren Buffett, right? And mm-hmm. he's he's not like getting in front of the news to talk about the latest IPO, right? And, yeah. and spying Heinz. <laughs> yeah. And so it's not it's not always this like there's a lot of airtime to ooh this fancy sounding investment, right? When you look at, hey, what is the what is the yield? <laughs> like if you if you looked at that whole company, we took the entire market cap and we took their profitability. What type of a multiple am I paying for like if we were doing MA on the whole company? Yeah. And mm-hmm. It's not as sexy to think that way, yet it's the fundamentals that people don't have to make their money over again, right? Yeah. They get to hold on to it the first time they make it. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think it's kind of genius. You know, I feel like even when I was running my own fund or, or these other businesses um, I've run, I feel like I've always been a sales guy. And mm-hmm. so I liked your comment when, you're, when you were talking about starting Convoy and how, like, <laughs> you introduce yourself and you've got these two things to talk about. Um, talk about your strategy here. I feel like you've taken like such a non-traditional route of, you know, building the relationships of, of selling financial planning.
0: Yeah, I mean, fi- everyone has a brother or a uncle or somebody that is a financial advisor. And so it's not really the... Type of career that that you you know you go to you go to cocktail parties and people are like oh tell me more about your career as a financial advisor it's just not not one of those <laughs> things at all um, but you know I, when I introduce myself I say I'm a financial advisor and um, but I have this side thing called convoy I take take CEOs of, of companies to different tech hubs around the country um, and yeah people just i i people have don't ever follow up on the financial advisor point they're always always oh well, well tell me about this what's it called convoy tell me more about that so it just it just kind of breaks down the barriers and and you know you don't have to worry about people thinking oh this here's another another guy financial advisor that's kind of try to manage my money blah 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 um just the uh actually one of the one of the early advice that I got from from another advi- financial advisor is he said, um, you know, be the type of person where, where you attract, not chase the, the people that you work with. Um, and that's, that's been something that I've been trying to, trying to have in my, in my career and the way I build my clientele. Generally, the people that I, that I work with and bring on as clients they um, I've got to know them as a friend first. Um, and then they say, I actually need some help with some financial advice. Can, can we talk about that sometime? Um, and you know, and, and that's, and that always comes out of a friendship because the trust comes first. And then, and then it's like, oh, I, you know, I, I want to talk to this guy a little bit more about this.
1: Well, h- how genius is that for everybody who is not in like the sexy industry of inventing the new hyperloop, right? Yeah. For everybody else, like you're in a good business. It's got a good margin, but yeah, at cocktail parties, people aren't like, dropping their drinks to listen to what you've got to talk about, right? Yeah. Um, like,
0: oh, you're a realtor? Tell me more about that.
1: <laughs> right? Um, anyways, I feel like, again, back to Jack Trout, differentiate or die. Like, you you have such a legitimately different conversation than any, like, let's say there's 10 other financial planners at the event tonight. None of them ha- have this same conversation to go to people with, right? You, yeah. inher- you inherently stand out. And yet, you've got this excuse where... I don't know. I think it's admirable that you've got enough self-introspection to like a lot of people who are in a boring industry. Like one of my, one of my buddies, he's a big, you know, 220 pound football player, snowboarder, skateboarder guy. And he's a dental hygienist. He's one of my best friends, one of the toughest guys I grew up with. And he's like, yeah, I got a girl job. (laughs) And and he's like, but I make six figures, so I'm okay with it. Right. Yeah, Yeah. And, um, and, uh, the thing about it is like, when you don't have those external things be your internal locus of how, valu- how valuable I am to society, then you can make smart decisions like you admitting, hey, people aren't going to, like, this is the reaction I'm likely to anticipate. Let's, instead of wishing they would react differently, let's analyze how they are going to react and then let's respond to that by having this other thing to talk to them about. It takes, all I'm saying is it takes a certain amount of self-honesty and I think a lot of people could learn from that.
0: Yeah. I, one of, one of my favorite, favorite pe- business people is, uh, Chris Saka, the, um, famous angel investor and, and venture capitalist. And, you know, one of the things that I've heard him say on, on tons of different podcasts and things is just to be interesting. Um, and yeah, I, it, it it's not necessarily that, that people don't find financial advising as an interesting career. It's, it's just kind of the, the, um, the feeling that comes from the previous experiences that that people have had with financial advisors to where it's like uh, that's not the conversation that I want to have right now or in in some cases it's you know many people are very very private with how they uh, view money and, and um, you know approach that and so that's not the conversation that they want to have
1: but it gives you the chance to be around long enough to become the trusted advisor right
0: yep, yeah, definitely
1: um, okay so Ken, I want to talk about uh, moving to Mexico to start a company. Let's talk about uh-huh. Screeny.
2: Yeah. Uh, I don't know what you specifically wanted to talk about, but it was definitely an interesting experience that I had not anticipated when I started the company. So tell people what it is,
1: and and um, let's start with that. What, what did Screeny do? Does. What does it do?
2: Yeah, so Screeny... Uh, Is recruiting and hiring software for companies. So we primarily focused on helping companies source or find candidates for a job, and then do the initial screening process. So we built some technology that helped them identify, uh, help companies identify which candidates were the best. Um, And so we raised some uh, venture capital for that. And one of our, well, our biggest investor uh, was a firm called Alta Ventures. And they have very strong ties to Latin America. And so as we were kind of in the early stages of that company, uh, they had introduced us to some potential clients down in Latin America as well as some, uh, some potential investors that were, that were down there as well. And so we took, a you know, myself and my other co-founders took a little trip to Monterey, Mexico, met with several of these kind of potential customers who Alta told us might be interested in our technology and we're just really blown away by um, the hiring ecosystem that i that exists in in Mexico. Uh, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people who apply for these jobs and, uh, and the the companies i mean they're, they're quite a bit farther behind in in Mexico and Latin America than companies are here in the u s so many of these recruiters were using like uh, Excel spreadsheets to keep track of all these all these uh, job candidates. And it was just unmanageable for them. And so we were really interested in that problem. Um, the other thing that we were kind of interested in is there's a lot of regulation around uh, HR practices in the U.S. And in Mexico, it's, it's not as strict. And so we kind of didn't have to worry about as much of that. Um, and, and there was just um, a big opportunity there. And so we decided to, to focus on that market and kind of shift direction. Uh, and so for a couple of years I was traveling back and forth to Mexico you know at least once a month for you know a couple of weeks at a time and uh, and then eventually moved down there and we built a team of about 30 people uh, who were you know working in our office and uh, you know really fun and, and kind of interesting experience to to build a company in Latin America It's, it's hard enough to build a company uh, in on your home turf, let alone you know in, in Mexico where you know I didn't even speak Spanish so it was, it was definitely an, an interesting adventure that I uh, had not anticipated, but it was a lot of fun. Um,
1: what advice do you have for someone else who, you know, maybe they realize, you know, manufacturing in China isn't as great. I should really do it in Mexico or, or for whatever reason they're going to do business down there. What, what would be your first piece of advice?
2: Yeah, so one of the things that I thought was really interesting about Mexico was uh, they have a lot of tech talent there. Uh, and so you always hear about people outsourcing, you know, to India or to Philippines or wherever. Um, and and one of the things that I was just very impressed with was uh, the development skill we were able to to hire there. Uh, and, and you know, these are people who are basically operating in the same time zone. Uh, they speak really good English, and so we were able to build a really nice team there around that. And I think you know, as people are looking to do business internationally. Uh, there's a lot of research that needs to take place just of, of where it might be the best fit. Uh, Some of people don't think of certain parts of the world, whether it's Mexico or somewhere else. But a lot of times, places you wouldn't think of are actually, you know, the best option for you. In um, Mexico specifically, is, like I said, is great because it's, you know, same time zone. It's a short flight away. Uh, so if you want to actually get on the ground and go visit, you know, whoever you're working with, whether it's a factory or a dev shop or whatever – uh, you can do that you know. within you know, six or seven hours. You can be on the ground down there. So there's a lot of advantages to working in Mexico and, and doing business there. That's awesome.
1: Well, um, we always like to ask guests a few standard questions. Um, one of them is uh, our charity, Child Rescue, trying to prevent child sex trafficking or rescue kids who have been trafficked. Um, I'd love to get both of your thoughts on advice you would have for us. If you were advising us on how to get more people involved in that cause what kind of advice would you have for us? Um, Trent, you want to go first?
2: Yeah.
0: Um, you know, obviously with convoy being a a group that, that focuses on the, on, on relationships, um, I have trying to think of a way to to fit this, fit this quote in from Peter Thiel into this, uh, this podcast episode. So I'll I'll just squeeze it in here now. (laughs) Um, this was from a commencement address that that he gave, and he, he said, he said, the, the, he said that the best returns in life you'll receive from you'll excuse me. Let me let me start over. He says the best returns in life are the ones that you invest in t- in building your durable friendships and long lasting relationships. So you know the, you could you could kind of apply the same thing in, into the key relationships that you guys have. Um whatever investments you're thinking about making into marketing, into um, you know, just finding different different partnerships and things like that. Anything that has to deal with a friendship is gonna be your, your best best return
1: on, on investment.
2: That's great advice.
1: Uh what about you, Ken? What would you tell us?
2: Um you know, just this just kind of struck me that it's such an important cause and oftentimes people wonder um, how they could help or how they could get involved. I mean, I know myself, I, I've done a little bit of research on you know, human sex trafficking and kind of the efforts that are being put behind you know, stopping that. And I think with a problem that big, pe- people often wonder, like, you know, how can I make a difference or you know, what could I do? Um, and so I, I would just say that it's very important for uh, you guys and whoever else is working on this to, to tell a compelling story to people uh, and then to get actionable uh, advice or actionable uh, things for people to do to make a difference, um, whether it's, it's you know, donating a little bit of money or, or even just spreading the word. If it's something that's small and, and sort of bite-sized, uh, it becomes much more easy for people to, to take action and, and to get involved. So you know, presenting a compelling story and, and helping, them, helping the problem hit home and then uh you know making making that story actionable i think is is just so critical and and by doing that i think a lot of people would would love to help out with us
1: yeah it's both solid advice i should combine it right i should be telling the <laughs> stories to people we know there you Great go. relationships about what they can do to get involved it is true though i think about um, how often we we put up a social media post or we you know we tell people about what's going on but we're not that clear about what they can do that you know a tangible difference they can make and to your point Trent about the value relationships over and over for us it's been a key relationship that made something happen you know we just we just put $25,000 down payment uh, along with a couple of other groups to buy an aftercare orphanage in Cusco Peru and that's from one individual that really cared you know what I mean he he put he donated that whole amount so that um, we could put in those extra dollars to get a hold of that and as we go forward, we just had some filmers down in Peru and we're getting ready to do a crowdfunding campaign to build an extra building on the site. And I won't be surprised at all. If it's like a handful of key relationships that really are the ones that get the word out and and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it makes me ask myself, are we, are we treating those with as much value as they actually have to us? You know?
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Okay. Uh, we always like to ask people for book recommendations. What's a, Ken, you want to go first and we'll go a couple of books you feel like entrepreneurs or innovators should be reading.
2: Yes, yeah, so I've got two that I read recently that have come to mind. Uh, one of them is The War of Arts by Stephen Pressfield. Such uh, a fan. Love that book. Yeah, I, I love that book too just because I... Uh, again, you've got a lot of people who talk about wanting to do something, you know, whether it's start a business or creating art or being a singer or an athlete or whatever it is. Um, and so in, in the book... Uh, he talks just about how whatever our art is that we want to create, uh, we all face what he calls the resistance, uh, which prevents us from actually doing that. And the resistance could be you know, us feeling tired or not knowing where to start or you know, distractions like social media. Uh, and so the book is just about how to overcome that resistance. And, and really the, the formula he lays out for creating something great is that you just need to sit down and put in the time every day. And if you put in the time and work on it every day, whether or not you feel good or or you feel bad, or uh, if it's good work or bad, like just by working consistently every day on on whatever it is uh, that is your art, uh, by doing that, you sort of uh, invite the universe to bless you with serendipity. Is kind of how he how he does how he phrases that, and uh, and eventually you, you can create a, a beautiful piece of art, whether that's again a business or something else. So. Love yeah. that book and would highly recommend it. The other one that I would recommend uh, is Lynchpin by Seth Godin. And that book, he, he talks about uh, basically how to be a high performer or how to be indispensable in today's economy. So this is true whether or not you're an entrepreneur or an employee. And he talks about the skills that are needed to be indispensable and the type of work that is required from us to, to become indispensable. And the quick summary is, you know, a hundred years ago, employers were looking for factory workers, they were looking for people to follow instructions, to be on, the, be on the assembly line and to just follow directions because that was what produced the greatest output. And so you had people with the mentality of, if I just go to work and I follow the instructions, like my job will take care of me and I can retire. And now with the internet and with technology available to us, like those types of jobs are being automated. And the people who are successful are ones who do creative work, who don't need instruction, who solve problems on their own, who who kind of do what Stephen Pressfield talks about in The War of Art, who create things and um, add value that way, and, and again, who don't need instruction. And so I, I really love that, and it kind of opened up a lot of ideas for me about the type of work I need to be doing and how I can you know provide value. So both of those books... I feel like they're almost companion books and, and I would definitely recommend both. Mm-hmm. So love anything
1: by Seth Godin. And, uh, it is, it is so true. Like what a value, um, being an innovative thinker is becoming as the world is changing so fast and the ability to adapt and the ability to, to think really rather than just follow orders. Right. Instead of color mm-hmm. between the lines and, uh, Stephen Pressfield, like I, I literally just started that book again this week. I'm working on this, my my partner in the other business with uh, we're te- trying to teach these leadership classes for having you know Delta Force operators come teach leadership classes. So my my partner that's an operator we're putting together this handbook right, and I like had to pull out the War of Art <laughs> and, yeah. and have him like you know give me the drill sergeant version of like <laughs> professionals get their hind parts in the seat every morning no matter what <laughs> amateurs yeah. amateurs write when they feel like inspired you know <laughs> and, um for everybody doesn't know i mean he wrote the legend of Bagger Vance which became that movie with Will Smith he he wrote a book called um the oh gates of fire about thermopylae the the 300 spartans that's like mandatory reading for all marines and all the spec ops guys in the military and a prolific writer and so, I, I think it's a big benefit to the rest of us that he wrote down how to get yourself to actually get that kind of content out, huh?
2: Yeah, fantastic. I, I would recommend it to anyone in any field.
1: No kidding, Trent. What are your top choice picks? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna um, throw you a
0: little curveball here. Ken covered um, a little bit more of the traditional type type of answers um, for kids, uh, or excuse me, for those that have kids. I just got sick of my kids just like reading, like we'd go to the library and they get like strawberry shortcake or just like Disney books that are just like dumbed down stories. So one thing I, I started doing every week was, um, getting, getting new kids books that had been like on the Caldecott award winner list. The
1: what, uh, the what list? The Caldecott
0: award winner list. Each year they essentially, they, they acknowledge the top, um, top kids books of, of the year. Um, so just as a general rule, if you, if you have kids go for that rather than just mm. the lame, lame Disney, Disney books that my kids are always drawn to. Yeah.
1: Disney.
0: But my, uh, but kind of given the, the topic that we have, one of my favorite ones that I've read recently is, um, is called the little blue truck. And you know, it's a, it's a kid's book, totally simple. You'll literally read it in, in two minutes. Um, but it's, it's, it's kind of profound how it, it talks about this big dump truck that's coming through and he's, and he's, you know, just splashing dirt all over dirt and mud over everyone. Um, and then there's this little blue, little blue dump truck. That's probably the, the equivalent of, you know, just kind of a, you're like a farmer or you're, you're, kind of blue collar worker, but just really takes time to get to know people and, and everything. And this big, big blue, big blue truck or big dump truck is just thinks he's so important. Gets stuck needs help and the blue truck comes and helps him out and he can't help him by himself but he calls all of his friends the farm animals and they come help him um but it's just the simplest message that you know my five-year-old she's like oh we should be nice to everyone but at the same time it's like it's it's a it's an important lesson for for everyone to say uh oh, the more you think that you're important probably the less people are going to want to want to treat you like you're important and, and help you out um, but anyways, kids' books. I, I like kids' books, and my second curveball that I that I've been really into um, is um, is cookbooks. Um, I really like the entrepreneurial edge, uh, kind of entrepreneurial mindset of, of chefs. Um, they have pretty much the same kind of career tra- trajectory: starting out, starting on on you know on real bottom rung, having to work work their way up. But the thing that I really appreciate about about chefs is, is how much passion they have for have for food. Uh, you know, me and Ken have talked about this a lot, and Ken will admit with, with Zoom Park, he's like, I wasn't passionate about about helping people park. I just saw an <laughs> opportunity, you know, and that and kind of pursued that. Um, but without 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 fail, all chefs are super passionate about food. And that's the that's the entrepreneurial uh, venture that they chose to chose to pursue because that's what their passion is. Um, and the one that I'm reading right now that I really love is about, is called La Sun. It's uh, by a chef named Roy Choi. Um, he's kind of the pioneer of, of food trucks. Um, so he just kind of talks about his he's he's Korean. He talks about like how um, La was uh, La's uh, Korean town was was started. And, um, a lot of the ups and downs of his childhood and, 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 um, some of the, some of those, those types of things. But, uh, yeah. So to, to throw a curveball at you, kids books and cooking books.
1: Okay. You definitely win the originality award. (laughs) Um, You know what I like about the kids book one specifically is it's so easy to dismiss that, right? To think, ah, kids book, whatever. And yet there's such a value. You hear these Zen guys talk about the beginner's mind and, like the the guy who thinks he's an expert it's like a glass that doesn't have room for any more water to get into it mm-hmm. versus the the beginner's mind of of taking an open mind looking at things gives you the chance to to benefit and uh when you think about so often the the most critical principles of success or the most critical uh leverage points when when it was a personal relationship that was the turning point because somebody called in a favor on your behalf or somebody bought something because they knew you needed it to stay alive. <laughs> it's like yeah. a sympathy purchase order whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so often those are simple concepts. You know, like we'd like to think it takes, you know, two Harvard degrees in, in molecular biology to be successful, but because um, it seems like complexity would get us there, when often it's like strict adherence to the fundamentals, huh? Yeah. Couldn't,
2: couldn't agree more. Yeah,
0: definitely. Yeah, you know, i i I could I could have given you some some answers like uh, how to win friends and influence people, but everyone's heard those before.
1: (laughs) Well, listen, I think this is a great place to cut it off. Um, Really appreciate you guys making time for us and for uh, throwing such a fun event.
2: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate having us on.
1: Okay, talk to you soon. That was part two of our interview. If you missed part one, please go back an episode and download the episode before this one for the first half of the interview. As always, please check iCollective.co for show notes of things referenced during the interview and to learn more about our guest. And if you're interested, we'd love to have you learn more about the charity Child Rescue. Go to the menu page on iCollective and click on Child Rescue. Thanks so much. Quit eating your burgers off a coffee table. If you want to eat a burger, put it on a bar. Follow your instincts to B-dubs for the new All-American Cheeseburger. Fresh, juicy beef smashed till it's crispy around the edges, covered in gooey cheese, and stacked to the ceiling with deliciousness. And knock that baby down with a frosted beer at the bar. Just like the sports gods intended. The new All-American Cheeseburger at Buffalo Wild Wings. Roar! Please drink responsibly.